0: Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvent. This is the second in three podcast episodes where we focus on naturally occurring cellulose fibers. And today we'll be looking at cotton. There's a phrase, a historical phrase, cotton is king. Uh, I believe, based on my recollection of, of reading some books, uh, one book especially about the role of Britain in the uh, American Civil War, uh, that uh, uh, people in the um, Confederate States were, were heard to say in their embassies in Britain, cotton is king. Right. So we we sometimes say cotton is king uh, because cotton has played a a major role in geopolitical uh, historical events over many centuries. Uh, Cotton is a, a very important part of the British Empire. Uh, when uh, back when Britain had um, uh, other countries that uh, 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 it had um, taken over and were using to produce cotton or uh, that it could be sent back to its textile mills in, in Britain. And so uh, cotton has been a, a geopolitical player for a long time. Uh, I'm gonna talk or focus most on current history. Uh, that's a whole nother podcast about uh, the role of textiles in history. And, and I wanna keep focusing on uh, the, the important um, uh, current things that we need to know if we're using a cotton product. You know, I'm currently looking at a map of uh, the U.S. in cotton production. Um, this is the sort of thing that you could get from the Cotton Incorporated website, and so I'm seeing uh, four major regions of cotton production in the United States, which stretch from sea to shining sea. The far west, California, Arizona, and New Mexico produce cotton that has the uh, that is the longest. Right, um, uh, in in length, uh, and also the strongest. And I think this is something that really surprises people. Um, they think of cotton as being an an uh product of the eastern United States. And and surely, uh, cotton called Sea Island cotton that came from uh, um, the Caribbean, uh, and islands off the coast of Georgia, uh, is uh, cotton that has been um widely regarded around the world as being very long and strong. Uh, in fact, uh, cotton that we that we think of as Egyptian cotton isn't indigenous to Egypt. It was produced from seeds from a Gossypium uh, barbadensis, uh, a, a Caribbean origin cotton plant that was in a greenhouse in Egypt uh, in the early 20th century when uh, the Egyptian uh, uh, philanthropists in Egypt were trying to think of how to improve the Egyptian economy. And so uh, uh, this um, cotton from the from the Caribbean region is uh, has played an important role in uh, the development of cotton that is long and strong. But the Pima cotton that comes from the high plains regions in the far west uh, these desert regions is actually longer and stronger and is considered the highest quality cotton around the world. Uh, We don't think of cotton as a desert plant, but in fact, if you just for a second, like Egypt, oh yeah, right? Um, And uh, uh, it's actually even better to grow cotton in places that are uh, high and dry because uh, the high altitude means that over the winter it will get cold enough that you don't need to use a lot of additional chemicals to remove uh, pests right you won't have pests that overwinter on the cotton plants every year is a new year for the lovely cotton seeds Uh, cotton is indigenous to uh, uh, south america as well Um, and so uh, we can see cotton uh, all around the world but in the u.s uh, we really do have some buttes Uh, The southwest, which is Kansas. Yes, we can produce cotton in Kansas. Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas has uh, cotton that, while it is not quite as long as the cotton that's produced in the Mid-South, the Mid-South being Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Tennessee, is uh, significantly stronger than the cotton produced in the Mid-South. So uh, the, the southwest is an excellent cotton-producing region, and in fact, the state of Texas produces more cotton than anywhere else in the country. Lubbock is the cotton capital of Texas. This is a high plains region. Again, that high altitude and colder over winters means that uh, the cotton production is actually easier there. And uh, then we have the southeast, uh, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, North and South Carolina, and Virginia. They produce the uh, cotton that is the weakest and is uh, of similar staple length as the cotton produced in Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. And so I hope that just that little uh, short discussion of me looking at a map at the Cotton Incorporated website kind of opened your mind that the that the historical story of cotton was uh, uh, trapped on the the eastern seaboard because that's where uh, everybody lived. But as um, the the mind of uh, Americans opened up to the entire continent, uh, we were able to discover uh, cotton thriving in other places. That was even um, more uh, beautiful and amazing. Uh, so. I'm uh, not going to spend a lot of time just like I didn't with, well, really getting into the nitty gritty of how cotton is produced. This is a, a, a textile uh, podcast, not an ag podcast. I mean, I love ag, but not an ag podcast. Uh, but uh, I mentioned before, cotton is a seed hair, right? So the seeds uh, are produced at the end of the life cycle of the plant and uh, the flowers turn into fluffy little cotton balls called bowls right and so the cotton bowl football game is actually kind of a pun a bowl is spelled b-o-l-l uh and it as it quote ripens right the the plant is drying out um you know the plant is dying the seed is getting ready to live its next life and um so as the plant dries out the the seed hairs they also begin to dry out right and uh, uh, so this is what we're waiting for in deciding when to harvest cotton. Now we can harvest cotton mechanically, which has been uh, wonderful, right? Uh, so cotton has now been bred to be a very uh, low-growing uh, crop. It's it's actually a shrub, like, a, like a, a bush. It seems like trees down in Peru. Um, but uh, now it's bred so that it's uh, short enough that this, uh, uh, machines can just roll right over it and the benefit of this is uh, it needs to be picked uh, at exactly the right time um, But if you have a, a huge machine doing it, uh, then the timing becomes less of a concern Just run that machine right over it day and night and boom you've got the cotton harvested uh, If you live like I do right near cotton fields, you'll see a uh, huge um, Uh, shipping container size um, chunks of cotton uh, wrapped in blue tarps sitting in the field. They're waiting to be picked up by trucks with special um, sort of little lift cranes on them and taken to the cotton gin. Cotton gin is is a, a facility that Uh, is important in the production of cotton, just like a scouring plant was important in the production of protein fibers, washing off the the grease, right? In this case, we have to rip the seed hairs away from the seed. Leave the seed behind so that it can be used for, well, gosh, a ton of other stuff. And and again, if you're interested, the Cotton Incorporated website has lots of details on uh, uh, cotton production. Uh, The seeds uh, are most of the cotton is removed from the seeds. There are little tiny uh, fibers that are still on the seed, so it can be ginned again. And those little tiny fibers are used for things like cotton swabs and cotton balls. They're called linters because they're really um, short, the, the longer fibers, the lint. Um, and of course, there's lint near dryer, which is basically just cotton fibers. Just like wool, we'll align the fibers by carding it or brushing it and then combing it. Uh, we call the resulting yarns carded and combed which starts with C, kind of handy. Cotton, carded, combed. Uh, Wool, on the other hand, woolen or worsted is what we call the yarns after we card and comb them. And then we will fabricate those yarns by weaving or knitting all right, and turn them into uh, fabrics which we can then finish. Uh, the finishes uh, are endless and varied. Um, almost all of the finishes that we'll learn about later uh, are used on cotton fibers, not only because it's been... Uh, economically beneficial to uh, develop these different finishes, but because the uh, hydroxy groups on the cellulose polymers are really open to doing chemistry, and so they allow us a lot of um, options. Now, uh, I've already mentioned that we talk about the length of cotton as part of its quality. Uh, If you think about it, the longer it is, the less fuzzy the yarn, right, the smoother, um, and uh, the uh, Combined with the strength, right, we end up with um, uh, textiles that are really easy to manufacture and use. So, in terms of the length, uh, the Sea Island cotton that I mentioned, um, the the exact same thing just grown in a different place, which is Egyptian cotton, right, Uh, the Pima cotton, which comes from the American Southwest, those are all very long and are considered the highest quality. The upland cotton, which is the cotton that is grown in the southeast or in the, the um, um, mid-south region is uh, next in length. And the shortest cotton is uh, Asiatic cotton or cotton grown in India, and again, it's just one of the luxe of the draw that the New World had the really long cotton. Uh, we will separate cotton into grades depending on uh, how white it is. Of course, I need to be clear here. Cotton is not white, it's yellow. Uh, Very, very light yellow. Uh, We still end up bleaching it to make it even whiter. Um, And then uh, also how clean it is, right? Uh, How much Uh, dirt and mud and other things are on it how mature it is right the the more mature maturity is it's how dried out it is right if it's still kind of juicy um uh, then it's a bit tough to handle and then obviously we're concerned about the diameter as well right Uh, if it's really fine now uh there's a whole separate podcast episode that looks at or could talk about uh organic cotton Uh, And uh, much of my research has been on uh, consumer uh, willingness to pay for um, organic or sustainable fibers. Uh, and uh, here in Texas, we grow quite a lot of organic cotton, and part of that is because we really have the right uh, climate for it. Um, so, uh, uh, not needing pesticides uh, makes it easier to grow uh, or things organically, right? Um, because the pests don't overwinter. Because we don't. Uh, because we get a hard frost. That means we don't use chemicals that kill the leaves. Because the leaves die naturally. So, in fact, organic cotton is uh, is. Uh, uh, produced in great abundance in um, high uh, altitude regions like Turkey um, and so uh, so it's very uh, fairly straightforward to obtain organic cotton uh, I actually want to encourage people to uh, brand managers to support um, transitional brands um, uh, that don't receive the premium of organic cotton but still have all the cost and expense of trying to get to uh, the reduction in pesticide and herbicide use that we see with organic. Uh, labeling. And I really like the um, basic, the being agriculturally sustainable in California um, uh, scheme, which uh, adds in labor concerns and uh, air pollution created by dust uh, and other um, uh, uh, agricultural activities. And so uh, this, um, this story that uh, you need a lot of pesticides to produce cotton, it just really depends on where you're trying to produce it. Other people talk about how cotton is a really thirsty plant. And again, it just depends on where you're trying to produce it, Uh, right? The fields of cotton right near me are never irrigated, right? Uh, They just grow. It's just rain from the sky. Uh, And so uh, cotton isn't actually comparatively that much more thirsty. Uh, If you're trying to grow it in a desert, uh, then yeah, it needs water. But anything you try to grow in the desert would need water. Then you have to talk about the economic incentives. Why were people being pushed to grow the plant in a desert? I attended a whole conference on cotton and sustainable water use. And uh, the end conclusion of the conference, uh, stakeholders from all around the world, was that the solution to this issue is uh, better access to agricultural piping um, That uh, because the water that's, quote, being used by the cotton is actually just being sucked up into the ground trying to get the water to the cotton plant. So yes, there's definitely a concern about um, trying to grow cotton in places where it is uh, agriculturally marginal and ends up being very wasteful. Uh, another thing I can talk quite a bit about is naturally colored cotton, uh, which was, uh, is indigenous to uh, South America, um, and uh, we see evidence of it back in uh, two, you know, 2700 BC. Uh, James Vreeland, an archaeologist who was working in uh, Peru, found uh, ancient uh, textiles that seem to have uh, pigments in them, uh, talked with the uh, locals and they said, well, yeah, sure, it's from this bush right here and was stunned to discover there are um, uh, trees that are growing brown and tan and green and red cotton. Uh, in fact, uh, this yellowish shade of cotton is what we've bred uh, over time because it makes dyeing and color matching less complicated, uh, makes bleaching less difficult because there's less to bleach out. But the naturally occurring shades in cotton are gorgeous and uh, uh, the colors deepen with laundering. Um, it's available in either organic or conventional production uh, uh, methods and um, is a uh, as my um, thesis research proved, uh, naturally sun protective. Uh, It has a a UPF uh, ultraviolet protection factor of around 60 for green cotton compared with six for white, uh, quote, white cotton. And so uh, naturally colored cotton is a fiber that certainly merits another look, um, especially if you're trying to move away from uh, chemicals and finishing because it doesn't require dye to be beautiful. And now I wanna think a little bit about the internal morphology of cotton, how the cotton is structured now that we've uh, discussed uh, some of the production issues. And and that's because the internal morphology is, is actually pretty unique among our naturally occurring fibers. The cross-section can be described as a, as a kidney bean. While it was um, immature, juicy, and green, it was full of uh, moisture that kept it round and plump. But as it dries out or matures, uh, the fiber collapses, um, because the moisture that was keeping it plump is leaving right but as soon as it absorbs moisture It can plump back up again and then collapse as it dries um, There is a cuticle on the surface. It's not the same cuticle as we see on protein fibers uh, um, But it's still a protective layer and there is a layer of wax uh, called suberin. So we, we now have lanolin uh, Saracen and now suberin, uh, ending in I-N as well. Uh, and the suberin is uh, this waxy layer um, that in uh, uh, naturally pigmented cotton, the suberin can also be pigmented uh, based on research done in the 50s. So uh, there is a primary cell wall uh, around the, the um and, uh, because it's natural occurring, we talk about cells. That's um, a structural wall, kind of a little bit stiffer, right? And then we have the secondary wall that surrounds the, the hollow um, uh, uh, lumen in the middle. And um, this uh, uh, secondary wall is where uh, all of the um, cellulose polymers are and that's the part that's super absorbent. Uh, now we've been able to do uh, research using scanning electron microscopes and really look at this secondary wall, this this layer of polymers inside. And unlike the wool polymers, where we might have the two halves of the of the fiber, right, the para and the ortho that twist in opposite directions, um, with the uh, with the cotton fiber, this um, internal. Um, layer, right, um, uh, you know, like um, if, if we were talking about a fruit, right, we would have the orange peel, that's the primary wall, and then we actually have the the um, juicy part inside, that's what we're talking about here, the secondary wall, and then the white part in the very middle that has the seeds, that would be the lumen. So the juicy part is um, structured in rings, right, uh, that are built up by the the plant itself. And uh, so these rings are running in different directions and this is actually what contributes to the strength of cotton when it gets wet. Um, That secondary wall swells as it gets wet and those rings of of polymers actually grip against each other because they're pressed very close, um, meaning that if you try to pull them apart, they are now in even closer contact with each other and resist being pulled apart. I mentioned before, these polymers are very long. Degree of polymerization is like 10,000. That really contributes to the strength of cotton fiber. Uh, Because the polymers are layered in this way, that's fairly tidy. They can form crystals. That also contributes to the strength. It's only about 30% amorphous. Enough for uh, dye chemistry and absorbency, um, but uh, that crystallinity really is part of what makes cotton so strong. So all of these are what gives cotton its uh, uh, ability to uh, be strong while still having elasticity and elongation. Those rings of polymers can slide against each other uh, to allow elongation and elasticity, um, and uh, the rings are continually pushing in one direction, which um, serves to... um, Uh, explain the convolutions in the cotton and convolutions if you look at a photomicrograph a picture of cotton under a microscope you see the cross section has that distinctive folded c-shape the kidney bean shape created by the collapsing lumen but then if you look at the surface contour the length of the fiber you see that it's um, a, a spiral basically like a spiral staircase that's ever turning in one direction or the other on itself we call that spiral a convolution. This is a 2D crimp, right? Um, It gives the fiber even more cohesion, making uh, it, when you spin it, making uh, the yarn stick together better. Uh, One little downside, Um, that's the groove in the fiber um, can collect dirt uh, soil, staining material, food, whatever, right? Um, we'll just call it soil. And uh, that soil, it can then be trapped as the, as the um, uh, length of the fiber twists, right? So it's actually harder to get cotton clean than linen because of that uh, little convolution. Uh, let's see. Um, I want to talk about some of the uh, finishes in cotton. And I think the main one that you really need to know about, uh, because honestly, most of the finishes podcasts will be all about all the different finishes that we can do. So I just want to bring up one right now that is, uh, pretty important because, uh, it really changes the whole nature of the fiber. So, uh, I, have mentioned before, uh, a gentleman named John Mercer uh, lived in uh, Great Britain and was an amateur chemist and worked in the textile industry in a dye house. And uh, he was really trying hard to improve the dyeability of cotton fibers, uh, had access to all of these chemicals from the pharmacy that would, he would have delivered from London. And he discovered that if you soak the cotton yarns or, or textiles in sodium hydroxide, a strong alkali, uh, sometimes also called caustic in the industry. And uh, soak it uh, get, uh, so get the fabric wet in this solution of alkali and then hold the fabric under tension right while it's swelling that you actually uh, force the uh, fibers to absorb the alkali. It changes the underlying chemistry inside the fiber and the fiber never re-collapses. So instead of being shriveled, C-shaped cross-section, it now has a round cross-section. What happens when the cross-section of a fiber is round compared to uh, a shriveled shape? The luster improves. Because uh, we've permanently kind of plumped the fiber up again, uh, we have created more space for water, so the absorbency is improved. Uh, The strength of the fiber was improved at the same time, and again, the polymers kind of coming close to each other activates their crystallinity, and Um, because this initial plumping um, sort of pushes the fiber in the width direction, Uh, it shortens the fiber in the length direction, but then the fiber never um, uh, swells any further, and so it never shortens any further. And so we uh, can eliminate with this treatment the progressive shrinkage, which was so problematic with cottons. So we have improved the properties of strength, absorbency, and luster, so S-A-L, all get bigger, right? So picture, uh, this is how I try to remember this. I I picture the, the blinking sign of Sal's deli, S, A, L, all big capital letters, Sal, and then an apostrophe and a little S, right? Because strength, absorbency, and luster all got bigger and shrinkage got smaller. So the little S at the end on Sal's, that little S is the smaller, Shrinkage, um, and so this mercerization is now standard for cotton textiles. Uh, I can't explain what a, an amazing um, uh, innovation this was in the in the early 20th century to be able to purchase sewing thread that had been mercerized. You'd look for it on labels, right? Oh, was that mercerized? Because if it wasn't mercerized, then you would have to worry more about uh, strength. Uh, The color wouldn't be as good. We'll we'll talk about that quite a bit later when we talk about dyeing, because that's kind of why he did it. Oh man, spoiler, I was saving that for later. So strength, absorbency, luster, all increase, shrinkage decreases. This is why mercerization is a standard finish anymore for cotton fibers and that wraps up our discussion of cotton again maybe partly because I just kind of don't love cotton quite as much as I love wool because you gotta love an underdog